Hello, this is episode 224. In it, I'm going to be doing an update to one of year three's most popular episodes. And I'm also going to be continuing our celebration of the five years of the Get It Right podcast. Now, in the last episode, I shared a reboot of one of the most popular episodes from year three of the podcast, and it was from season 10, which was called Industry Insiders. Now, that episode was my conversation with Jenny Edwards and Sarah Lebner from Lighthouse Architecture and Science. In it, we dived into some really fantastic and actionable information on how to create a sustainable home in a really pragmatic and straightforward and affordable way. So if you haven't listened to that reboot or to the original episode, it is definitely worth checking out. You can find the reboot by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 223 or just head to episode 223 wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, uh, There's a free downloadable transcript that's available when you head to the link too. So undercoverarchitect.com forward slash and the numbers 223. Now, year three of the podcast, it was a varied one. We actually covered a huge range of topics in that year. Uh, It began with the tail end of season eight on the podcast. That was a really chunky season called A Simple Guide to a Sustainable Home. Then we dived into season nine. That was a special video and audio series that I did for the first time. um, And it was called Keeping It Real. I dived into some of the commonly held beliefs about renovating and building, especially when it comes to reality TV uh, and online media and the mindset issues that I see really surprise homeowners in their projects. So make sure you check that season out. It's a really worthwhile one to, uh, to listen to. And then season 10, of course, that was the Industry Insiders season. We also snuck in a few episodes in year three of season 11. And season 11 was uh, my interior design basics season. There were so many great episodes across the course of year three on a huge uh, range of helpful topics and know-how for any project. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you haven't familiarized yourself with all of that content, the, I'd really encourage you to do so. There's a, just a library, a library of so much uh, useful information. And you've, we've got a full index of all of the podcast episodes on uh, undercoverarchitect.com forward slash podcast on the website. Podcast is up in the top menu as well. So you can check that out and just have a look through um, and dive into the seasons and uh, all of the in-between episodes as well. Now, in this episode, I'm going to provide you with some updates on where the industry is at is at in regards to sustainability and some specific regulations and help that can support you in achieving greater sustainability in your future home. Now, at the time of recording this episode, it's late 2021 and there's some significant changes coming up in Australian regulations and this is generally happening worldwide. I'm seeing shifts in regulations worldwide because the urgency of climate change is just ever more present and the construction industry has a huge role to play in impacting this and improving the situation. Now, I want to remind you that while sustainable may be interpreted as environmentally friendly um, for some people or even just green sustainable design and construction, um, you know, it actually incorporates a lot more as a concept. So when you think about sustainability, I'd love you to think broadly about all the things that you can do to create a home that meets your current needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet theirs. That to me is the truest definition of sustainability. Now, 
I've done a full transcript of this episode as a free PDF download and you can grab that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 224. That's the number 224. I'm going to be referring to loads of resources in this episode um, and there's going to be lots of links that you can check out. So you only need to remember one link, okay? And that's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 224 and then you'll get all the information that you need for this episode. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated and empowered as you design, build or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014. And it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future. One that is sustainable and affordable and that helps you live a great lifestyle, both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now, before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track, or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T. P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. Take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. Now I'm going to cover quite a lot in this episode. I'm going to go through lots of sort of snippets of information about what's going on when it comes to current regulations, uh, about accessing help for sustainability in your home, and also just understanding the various requirements and practices out there. So it's going to be a really great resource for you to be able to just tap into, but also for you to have somewhere to go for further research and help if you need it. Now, at the time of recording this episode, as I said in the intro, it's late 2021 and the National Construction Code, which in Australia is our primary set of technical design and construction provisions for buildings, it's due to have some changes to it published in September 2022. 
Now, the National Construction Code, it gets updated every three years. And so there's always a big lead up to making those changes. Um, they open it for industry comment, public comment and input. They do a, a huge range of education throughout the industry across all of the time of uh, preparing for those updates um, so that the industry can just understand what those proposed, ch proposed changes are going to mean for design and construction. Now, the National Construction Code, it actually sets the minimum required level for the safety, the health, amenity, accessibility and sustainability of certain buildings. And the Australian Building Codes Board, on behalf of the Australian Government and each state and territory government, produces and maintains the National Construction Code. Now, I said minimum, okay, minimum required level. And when I say minimum, I mean minimum. I believe there's actually an expectation out there that when something is built to meet code, it's built to some exemplary standards that we all wish for our long-term family homes. Unfortunately, though, that's not the case, okay? Building codes, and this is the case globally, they're just, they're the, they're the bare minimum, okay? And it's really disappointing how minimum they can actually be. And I remember getting at the true understanding of this early on in my career and being quite shocked at what actually was in code compared to what quality designers and builders were willing to do and embed into their projects. Now, the good news is, is that the National Construction Code, it's actually free, all right? So you can access and you can read it for yourselves. You can just Google it. You can find it online. If you look at class one for residential singles freestanding dwellings, um, that covers residential new homes and um, significant renovations. And you can dive in and you can see what the National Construction Code will actually require for your project. Now, in regards to these proposed changes, and to quote an article that was actually published in Renew um, website and magazine in October of this year, they said this, Australia is overdue for better building standards. It is over a decade since the current six-star minimum NATHERS rating was introduced, so that's our energy efficiency star rating. And since that time, Australia's performance has only fallen further behind comparable countries where the energy efficiency of new buildings is typically up to 40% better than Australia. Now, I've spoken several times before on Undercover Architect uh, about this. And in this past decade that we've been sitting on a six-star energy rating uh, requirement in our National Construction Code, our energy prices have more than doubled across that time. We're also building bigger homes. So, you know, you'll have heard in our last episode just how much building stock is actually anticipated to be built over the next few decades. And all of the predictions that I cited in that episode, they were all done pre-COVID. So pre this last massive building boom that we've been experiencing and seeing globally. So there are actually quite a few updates proposed for the National Construction Code in 2022, but there's some specific ones that I'm going to mention to you here in this episode. The first is, as, as mentioned, so the first is that there's a proposed lift from our six-star energy rating that we've had for the last 10 years to seven stars for your energy efficiency rating on your home. The second um, big change is uh, an, a raft of inclusions around uh, accessible design in homes. So that means changes to requirements in hallway widths, level access from the street into the home, bathroom design, including a range of other measures. Third um, big change is about around air tightness uh, in construction to mitigate and to minimise the risk of condensation in buildings. And other changes include plumbing fixtures about that's related to reducing lead content in fixtures that are used for drinking water. Sounds like a sensible change, doesn't it? And uh, there's, you know, as I said, there's all of the specific changes around air tightness, 
condensation and just generally updating the standards of construction in residential new homes and renovations. Now, as you can imagine, (laughs) as you can imagine, there are sectors of the industry that are pushing back very considerably on these changes. They always do. Every time the changes are proposed, there are parts of the industry, consistent parts of the industry that push back. Now, in my opinion, like Renew's opinion, um, these changes, they're so, they're so overdue. Um, They may, well, they are, they're going to be really significant for many to adopt. And this is going to be especially relevant for volume builders and project home builders who currently have thousands of homes built in display villages across the countryside. Um, They won't meet the codes. Those homes will not meet code requirements once these changes are introduced. Uh, And not to mention they've got libraries full of floor plan designs and construction documentation in their systems that are all going to need amendment to adopt these changes as well. So we're already seeing some states unfortunately come out and say that they're not going to adopt all of the proposed changes. And this is the thing about the National Construction Code. It's a national document and then there are state variations uh, that come into play. And so states can say, no, we're not going to include them um, this time round. And uh, they just, those state, then that state legislation then supersedes the national requirements. So I am going to be really frank about this. Uh, You know, chances, you may not agree with me depending on who you are listening to this podcast. Um, I'll also say too, I'm not across how much, you know, what the true and immediate economic impact is of these changes. I see lots of figures being floated about. I don't necessarily believe all of them. Um, uh, it's hard to know financially what the true quantification is of these proposed changes to the National Construction Code. Industry bodies who are against these changes are coming out with supposed financial figures about what these changes are going to cost. This, this is how this is how I feel about it. We actually need these changes. We really need. There's a raft of reasons to do with climate change. You know, being able to age in place in our homes, creating more inclusive housing stock. You know, the fact that we've lagged as a country for so, so long, for me, the cost of not doing these changes, it's going to be far more significant over across the long term than us incorporating them now. It's really been, it's been incredibly frustrating to see the national industry bodies such as the Master Builders Association and the Housing Industry Association come out against the National Construction Code. Unfortunately, these two bodies have the ear of the government as well. They make political donations to both sides of politics you know I suspect that this is only this this opposition is only going to increase as the supply and the demand pressures in the industry remain um, they're going to potentially use that as an excuse no we can't do this now things are difficult enough as it is um, you know the thing is though there's always going to be an excuse there's it's never a good time it, it doesn't stop these changes being well overdue And for every criticism of these changes, uh, there's actually a raft of very informed, very well-educated, very experienced industry professionals who are demonstrating that the criticism isn't valid, that the criticism doesn't stand. So, you know, I've seen claims, as I said, about the extra financial cost to homeowners to incorporate these changes. And and that's the thing. They keep saying this is going to cost homeowners X. There's so many examples, though, where an increased in demand has actually uh, lowered the cost of previously higher cost items. When they've, when they've legislated double glazing in various countries across uh, the Northern Hemisphere, for example, when they've actually just brought in a law that says all windows have to be double glazed, what's actually happened is that it's meant that single glazing has ended up being more expensive than double glazing. There's been a, a small transition period for sure, 
but very quickly the demand has changed the cost of those items. There's loads of situations like this across so many different components of the construction industry. Um, and the thing is at the end of the day too, it's important that we take into, into account the long-term savings in energy costs and also the improved thermal efficiency of homes as well. Our standard construction methodologies desperately need an upgrade and our approach to the homes that we create, it actually requires legislation to ensure that those in the industry who haven't and just won't do it out of responsibility or choice, the legislation actually is needed in order to compel them to do it by regulatory force. So I'm going to go through some of these significant changes one by one for you so that you can um, understand them in a bit more detail. Now, I'm going to be short and sweet about the increase from s to seven stars, okay? Uh, as I said, it's well overdue. It's not hard to design a seven-star home these days. You can actually quite easily design a greater, um, like a, a, a higher-star home. So if you have the right approach and the right team from the outset and you're designing a home that suits your, your site and your climate and your location, you can achieve seven stars in a very straightforward fashion, even more, okay? That's it. That's all there is to it. Now, when it comes to accessibility, a fantastic resource for you is Livable Housing Australia. Uh, it was actually established in, in 2011. Livable Housing Australia is a not-for-profit partnership between community and consumer groups and government and industry. And it was brought together to lead the development of safer homes that are easier to access for everybody. Livable Housing has actually created the Livable Housing Design Guidelines and I'll quote from their website. It says the LHA Livable Housing Guidelines provide Australia's only best practice guidelines for livable housing agreed in partnership between community and consumer groups, government and industry and the certification of a home to silver, gold or platinum level under the guidelines ensures that these standards have been met through the home's design and construction. Now under the National Construction Code 2022 changes all new homes will need to be built to a silver level in the livable housing design guidelines. There's seven core design elements. I'm going to take you through them from the LHA silver level. So the first one is a safe and continuous step-free path of travel from the street entrance and or the parking area to a dwelling entrance that's level. Number two is at least one level step-free entrance into the dwelling. Number three is internal doors and corridors that facilitate comfortable and unimpeded movement between spaces. So that relates to width and things like that. Number four is a toilet on the ground or entry level that provides easy access. Number five is a bathroom that contains hobless shower recess. Number six is reinforced walls around the toilet, the shower and the bath to support safe installation of grab rails at a later date. And number seven, stairways are designed to reduce the likelihood of injury and also enable future adaptation. Now, the bulk of those I know Undercover Architect members, particularly inside Home Method, are already doing. They're already thinking like this. Um, so many people are thinking about ageing in place. So I don't think that any of those are a stretch, but it's worthwhile you familiarise yourself with them. Having step-free transitions between inside and outside, that needs to be discussed and decided you know, on during design because it's going to meet specification of certain door types, slab set-downs and layout requirements to actually accommodate that during construction. And it also needs to be balanced with keeping the home weather tight. Whilst there's, there's so much noise about this being hard to do coming out from certain parts of the industry, we do it all the time in loads of other building types. It's actually possible to incorporate if it's thought about from the outset. 
as a side note, I actually remember doing an assignment in my second or third year of architecture in my architecture degree at University of New South Wales. And we actually had to get this assignment involved us having to get from one end of the University of New South Wales campus to the other side. So from the top, from basically from the bottom to the top, the whole campus of University of New South Wales is on a really big hill. And um, as an able-bodied person, I'd always just walked right up the middle of the campus. There's terrace stairs at that time that wove their way through the whole middle of the campus that you would just follow through. But for this assignment, uh, we divided up into groups of three and one person was in a wheelchair. One person was wearing goggles that actually impaired your vision and the other one was on crutches. Um, I can't tell you how hard it was Uh, and it took forever. It just took forever to do. We were given a map um, that actually showed where all the lifts in the buildings were but it was like running a maze in terms of having to go in, go up a lift, come out, go across a level, go into another building. And uh, yeah, it just it just took forever. It really opened my eyes to what that experience was like for somebody who wasn't able-bodied. Roll forward a couple of years and I had to do it for real. I actually had a serious knee reconstruction at age 22. I was on crutches for seven months and then I stayed in a full leg brace and then a knee brace for some times afterwards as I had subsequent surgeries on my leg. Now, during most of that time, I still attended university and I also worked and I attended physio several times a week. Now, (laughs) I lived an hour's train ride, sometimes more actually. Uh, It was a train and a bus away from uh, both work and uh, from university and the physio was in the same suburb, but it was up the road and uh, it was my right leg, so I couldn't drive and thanks, uh, I was still living at home and it was only due to the support of my family and so many people who drove me places, who carried my gear, who helped me out that um, I was able to make it all work. But holy cow, every day was exhausting. That was only a couple of years of my life. There are people that do this every day of theirs and building new homes in an accessible way, it just makes sense for their long-term applicability to a more inclusive range of occupants. The Livable Housing website, it's a great resource. It includes information on what to incorporate. There's also consultants, there's certified consultants who can uh, help you with how to design in an accessible way. So I'll pop a link to the Livable Housing website in the podcast resources so you can check that out. One of the other areas of criticism has been around the upgraded requirements for air tightness and the improvement to the building envelope performance overall. Now, as a result of these proposed changes, there's been a massive push in education in the industry with so many seminars and webinars and information sessions being published on condensation and how to design and build to avoid it. It's been really interesting to see it have such recent prominence in the industry conversation. However, as I learned from Andy Russell from the Proctor Group, who's actually doing a lot of education in this space, condensation has been discussed as a negative factor for buildings and occupant health for many, many years. Andy actually brought up some information shared by the Australian Standards Board back in 1992. And then there was also some industry literature he shared from the 1930s. So condensation, it's a big, big topic. It's way too much for me to dive into here, but I'm going to give you some helpful information in summary. It's actually estimated that over 40% of buildings, including homes in Australia, are impacted by condensation. Now, condensation occurs because cold air can't carry as much moisture as warm air. And when you get moisture levels that are too high, meeting temperatures in building fabric that are too low, there's an uncontrolled flow of water vapour moving from a source to a region of cold temperature. So that's like shower steam meeting the bathroom mirror. 
that's when condensation can occur. So when this happens around your home, it's often when it's cold outside and it's warmer and more humid inside and you're seeing condensation form on the inside of your windows. You'll be seeing it in your windows because they're non-porous and they can't absorb water. But it can also be happening inside the walls of your home and in the roof space as well. The best case scenario is that you have the correct construction with the required barriers in your walls and roof space and adequate ventilation to prevent condensation or to enable this moisture to dry out or drain away. The worst case scenario though is that the moisture is being absorbed into your insulation, your timber framing or your other building fabric and it's not drying out and then that's where it can cause mould and general deterioration of your home and potentially your health as well. Given that over 40% of buildings are dealing with this, you're most likely uh, very familiar with it and it's not limited to cold climates. Condensation is actually an issue for any climate and any location. So how can you actually avoid this in your future home? I want to point you to um, looking at Canada and New Zealand. You know, Canada in the 1980s and then New Zealand in the 1990s, they had a huge issue around leaky buildings in the property industry. This was actually buildings that were just unable to withstand the weather conditions. And there were large financial ramifications and big moves were made in building codes to improve the situation. As part of this, they actually developed the four Ds of weather tightness and they're a great framework for any project. So the four Ds are, number one is deflection, number two is drainage, number three is drying, and number four is durability. And I'm just going to go through these one by one. So deflection, deflection is about how your home sheds water. So through the design of your roof, the use of your eaves and gutters, if you actually aim to design these things so that you keep the water off the walls of your home, then that's going to help you reduce the chance of water penetrating your home's exterior because your cladding may not be completely waterproof. So you want to ensure that you've got good flashings over windows and those types of things. Drainage is where you promote water to move away from the home, plus you ensure conditions around the home don't enable water to sit close to walls and foundations. Cavities are included in your wall construction to actually provide a space for water to drain behind cladding and stay outside of your home's interior. And then you've got vapour membranes and wall wraps that will prevent water from soaking your insulation or your internal lining. Drying, uh, which is number three, so the cavities in the wall construction, they also provide the air gap that provides ventilation to evaporate water or to dry out any building elements that have absorbed water. And ventilation in roof spaces through vents in a controlled way, so this isn't whirlybirds, um, they actually help roof spaces dry out and manage heat loads to the home overall. Durability is number four. And this is where you want to choose materials and products that are fit for purpose for the climate that you're building in and will last. So if you'd like to read more information about leaky buildings and the 4Ds in New Zealand, I'm going to pop a link in the podcast resources for you uh, so that you can head there and check that out. Now, addition, in addition to keeping the weather out of our home, we also need to be aware that the various activities in the home can create a lot of humidity in our interiors. And we need to give a chance for that humidity to dry out. Otherwise, it's going to be absorbed as water vapour into our building envelope and potentially become condensation and make the inside of our walls wet. Blech. Now, it's all okay if it can evaporate once it's in the wall cavity or we can adequately ventilate or dehumidify our interiors. But if you've got foil sarking on your walls that doesn't allow the vapour to escape from your inside of your home to the outside of your home into that cavity area, then you're going to have some issues. The volume builder industry, it doesn't pay a lot of attention to condensation and its risks uh, such as dust mites and mould growth. 
there are loads of people in our population who are dealing with chronic health conditions that are often dramatically improved or eliminated when they're living in an environment that is drier and healthier. And there are houses all over Australia that are still being legally built without sarking on the roof before the metal roof goes down because it's not legally it's not legally required to have sarking or some type of vapor membrane membrane uh, on your roof in lots of locations. If you have a look in those roof spaces of a morning, you'll see water dripping off the underside of the metal roof onto the ceiling insulation within the roof space. Low pitched roofs are. Uh, that don't have any adequate ventilation and they just don't have, because of the minimization of space in them, they just won't have space for that ventilation. Then condensation can be a big risk in these issues, uh, in these instances. And uh, if they're not properly detailed, it will cause lots of dramas for you. So if you've got a low pitch roof, you need to be really detailing to, to mitigate issues around condensation. We are creating homes that are more airtight and that's actually a really good thing when it's done right. But it's happening in range in combination with a range of other factors and so we've got this increase in insulation we've got a huge use in air conditioning we've got a lack of dehumidification happening and we're not using natural ventilation we're so we're living in these big eskies and we're not giving our homes the chance to dry out the wording of the national construction code actually provides loopholes all right so and a lot of people simply do not understand the impact of their decisions or their detailing, and that includes industry professionals as well. There are, however, there, there are many designers, architects and builders out there who are very serious about this, and there's products available that can seriously improve your home's ability to minimise condensation risks as well. So where can you get information about condensation and, and educate yourself about this more? There's, uh, there's actually, in 2019, the Condensation in Buildings Handbook was published by the Australian Building Codes Board, and that's an awesome place to start if you're super keen to learn more. I will warn you, that it's a it's a big read, <laughs> it's a chunky read, it's a big it's a big PDF. It's a, wor- a worthwhile resource though if you want some detailed information. At the very least, you can check out the design, construction, and occupant checklists um, that are at the end of that PDF, and then you can use that as a framework to have these discussions with your architect or your designer and your builder. And I'll pop a link to that handbook in the podcast resources for this episode. You can also work with your designer or architect and your builder to check that all of the specifications are fit for purpose and that will meet manufacturer's requirements in how you intend to use them. And then also detail all of those selections with the product names and the brands in your specifications so that you don't end up with any substitutions during your build. I'll say this, it's really clear from the research that I've been doing how important it is that you choose your team well and that you work with them very closely uh, so that you can be informed and supported in achieving the best outcome for your future home. Before, Even before COVID, we were spending 80 to 90% of our time indoors. Now that time is mostly spent in our homes and it will include our workplaces, but you know, pre-COVID, a lot of that time was in our workplaces. Now it's actually mostly in our homes. And condensation can seriously impact the health of our homes and our health and well-being too. So you want to create a, a healthy home that has a great quality indoor air environment that can dry out when it gets damp and it minimises the impact of condensation and that is going to support your health and well-being over the long term. This is all going to help with the durability of your home long term as well. So make sure you understand and you check out information around condensation and you're having those conversations with your team. Now, I'm going to also, uh, I want to talk about 
a scheme that is being launched in 2022, um, which may interest you. Okay. It's not going to, if you're doing a custom residential home, it's not going to immediately apply to you, but there's the opportunity for you to learn more about it. And of course, drive, uh, drive this change from within your own project and your own project team. A few weeks ago, I attended a Green Star Homes course. Now, Green Star Homes is a scheme that's being launched by the Green Building Council of Australia or the GBCA to help create positive, healthy and resilient homes for all Australians. So positive means it's an efficient home and it generates as much in energy as it uses through renewables and it does not use gas. So this is a net zero home. Uh, healthy means that it creates healthy indoor air and living environment and it reduces the risk of mould and it uses low-tox materials and finishes and is also well ventilated. And resilient means that it's water efficient and it's built to better than code to withstand natural disasters and future climate change conditions. And each of these areas cover particularly assessment criteria and benchmarks. Homes uh, in the Green Star Homes scheme actually have to be submitted for an as-designed assessment and then they're also certified once their um, as-built assessment has also passed. Now the as-built, the as-built, the one that happens to show that construction has been done as per the design, it will require blower door tests and photographs taken during construction and a range of other checks that need to happen. I was really curious about how it could help homeowners learn more about how to specify sustainable homes. But then I was super disappointed to hear that it's only currently available and being marketed to volume builders. Now, the Green Building Council of Australia, who oversee the Green Star certification process, they actually define volume builders as those builders who are delivering more than 50 homes per year. And apparently, according to their research, those builders actually comprise 40% of homes being built in Australia each year. Now, I can't dig to the bottom of this claim. Um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics actually delineates between homes and houses in its data. It's quite interesting. When, you'd, um, when, you, when you hear the word home and house, you kind of think that they mean the same thing. But in the Australian Bureau of um, Statistics, they don't. Uh, homes are the single detached dwellings, apartments, townhouses, terrace houses and other attached dwellings. So homes includes all of those things, basically anything that something somebody lives in, um, whether it's attached or, you know, multi-res or anything like that or a, and a single dwelling, those are homes. Whereas houses, the terminology houses, that's what refers to single freestanding detached dwellings. So I'm not sure if the 40% that the Green Building Council of Australia are, are sort of talking about is only the freestanding dwellings being built by volume builders or if it's 40% of new homes and it actually includes all the apartments as well. Because you can imagine then a volume builder, if they're doing an apartment building with lots of apartments in them, they're, according to the Green Building Council of Australia, they're building over 50 homes per year because they're building 50 apartments, more than 50 apartments per year. So all of that data is really, really messy. It's still though, even if it's 40%, it's still the minority. There's still 60% not building like that. That's the frustrating thing. But anyway, our the thing to understand in all of this, why I got so excited about the Green Star Home Scheme, you know, is that currently our legislation, it does nothing to ensure that the energy efficiently, if energy efficient home that's being built is actually getting built as per the home that you designed and got assessed and you've got your energy efficiency star rating on and everything like that. And I saw somebody talk about this talk on, on social media recently, an industry colleague. Um, they said that you can have a home that's eight stars on paper, but 
it's only three to four stars in reality because you can have a builder who doesn't know how to do something as simple as uh, building it properly and doing the checks along the way and installing the insulation correctly. And you will have heard from Jenny Edwards about, you know, a 5% um, when the when there's a 5% uh, you know gap in the insulation that actually reduces effectiveness by up to 50%. So you know I got really excited when I was seeing this Green Star Home scheme because I thought you know they're actually being another avenue besides passive house that could achieve an as-built sustainability certification of your home. But as I said unfortunately it's only for volume builders at this point and it's up to them whether or not they want to it's, I mean, it's voluntary. So it's up to them as to whether they want to enlist in it. Um, they're seeing obviously whether it's marketable and is it going to be driven by consumer demand, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But the reason I'm mentioning it here on the podcast is if you're looking for a sustainability specification for this home, then it could be really worthwhile you checking this out. Um, you're going to you can learn more about the scheme on their website. I'll pop a link for you in the podcast resources. You're likely going to see advertising for this scheme in 2022 because they're going to start educating the public to start asking about this with volume builders and try and entice the volume builders into achieving as design and then as built Green Star certifications in their home being driven by consumer demand. But as I said, if you're looking for a sustainability specification, um, to be able to plan your design and construction, the Green Star Home Scheme might be a really good place for you to dig in some to some ideas and 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 get some thoughts for your own project. Now, lastly, I want to take you through some resources that can help you in your research and your planning and your efforts to create a sustainable home. So, Sustainable House Open Day. I've I've mentioned this before for Undercover Architect Community. It's gone from strength to strength over the past couple of years because they've done such an amazing job of of pivoting to handling things virtually. Uh, there's education sessions on a huge range of topics. You may want to check out some of the house tours that they've also put online. Um, there's there's one that I saw on a hemp house um, that's a really good starter. There's another one where they took a 1.5 star home, which is actually the average of houses in Australia is 1.5 stars in energy rating. They took that to a 10 star home. Uh, it's called the Comfy Home. And you can see all of the available video home tours and all of the information sessions. Renew's got them on their YouTube channel. And um, I'll pop a link in the podcast resources for that channel and for those two specific homes that I mentioned, the Hemp House and the Comfy Home, if you want to check those out. Now, if you're still struggling with all of this conversation about airtight homes and feeling like it's counterintuitive that you want your home to breathe, you know, that's totally understandable. Many do believe that their home needs to breathe and that building an airtight home is a really bad idea. However, what we're often missing is that yes, a home breathing is a good idea, but breathing in a way that we can't manage or control, that's not a good thing, all right? That's a leaky building. So the best mantra is build tight and ventilate right in order to create a comfortable, well-performing home. And you don't have to use Passive House to make this work. There's actually a really great video from the team at Energy Matrix that explains more about blower door tests and about understanding air changes per hour metric. The air changes per hour metric or ACH, that's a metric that a lot of my home method members are talking about. They're targeting in their project as a, as a metric that they want their builder to achieve um, and putting it into their specifications. So that's something definitely that you can start thinking about for your home. 
Uh, and Lighthouse Architecture and Science, they've also got a great blog post about sealing air gaps to, in an existing home in order to improve its performance as well. So I'll pop the links for both those resources from Energy Matrix and from Lighthouse Architecture and Science in the podcast resources for you. Now, finally, the updated version of Your Home, which is an incredible resource, it is live, all right? And this website, the Your Home website, is also, it's always been a great source of information to understand climate-specific design and construction in Australia. And you can download, they have free seven-star home designs available on that website as well, which is insane. So, um, you can find the, your home resource online. You can also purchase a hard copy of the book. It's created by incredibly clever, very experienced, very well-educated people. Um, I'll pop a link to that in the podcast resources as well. Okay. Whoa, that was a lot, wasn't it? That's it for episode 224. Uh, and that's an update to one of you three's most uh, listened to episodes on the Get It Right podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed it. I really hope that you found all of that information, those updates and all of, you know, what's coming up in the industry for you uh, super helpful for you to be able to understand what you need to be considering in your project if you're still planning, designing, you know, or thinking about starting construction next year. The National Construction Code stuff, that always gets applied during your building approval. So you need to be aware of it as you're, uh, as you're moving through your project, whatever stage you're at. Be sure to tune into the next episode. I'm going to be rebooting one of year four's most popular episodes. Now, there, there were so many links and resources mentioned in this podcast episode, weren't there? So make sure you head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 224. That's the numbers 224. So undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 224. I've got a full free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode and I've got all of the links and resources that I've mentioned there. You can print it out, you can save it to your computer, file it away and then refer back to it as you need to. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.